0: Talking about this now for a little while, and finally it is here. And we're excited about it. And today is going to be lesson one of unlocking the Bible. And we'll be going through this step by step from now through uh, probably um, April, probably take us at least to April to get through all 12 lessons on Sunday morning. And uh, as we go through that, we talked a little bit last week of what Unlocking the Bible is going to, uh, what role it's going to play for us going forward. And as a part of that, also we get a little farther into this. We have a few more uh, things we want to add to this to help uh, even further cement the importance of Unlocking the Bible and help us establish this uh, going forward. So today is uh, lesson one. And um, let me say this quickly here, I did this last week, for those of you that were here you remember, uh, and I asked this question very simply, and I asked the question, how many of you in any time with your walk with the Lord, if you've been here for five minutes or for 50 years, have you been through a full Bible study? And I would guess that it was probably somewhere in the range of thirty. To forty percent of the group there last week were able to answer yes. So this should be a exciting thing for some of you because you've never gone through a twelve full twelve week study of the Bible. And I will say, for most of this stuff, I would I would I would probably guess that a lot of you know this already. However, that's not the purpose necessarily of going through this uh, first time. I mean, somewhere along the line, hopefully, you'll get something, but. Don't check out just because uh, you may have heard some of this before. All of it's important. Plus, if you're desiring to go forward and you want only want to be uh, complete UTB, uh, but you also want to turn around and teach somebody else UTB, this will be a great opportunity for you to start to get familiar with the material and begin to hear how each lesson is arranged. So we're going to go ahead and begin today. And before we do that, if we could take a moment, we're going to pray and ask the Lord to be with us, have His anointing, His power, and to be with us today. Father, we thank You today. We give You praise and glory and honor. We thank You for the vision You have given us as a church. We thank You, Lord, for the grace to carry out that vision and the tools necessary to complete the task. I pray now in the name of Jesus that You would touch us today. Touch our ears, touch our hearts, touch our spirits that would be able to hear your word and grow, draw closer to you. In the name of Jesus, praise God. Let me just go over really quickly, and I'll probably repeat this every time because it's important. Let me uh, go over a, a few disclaimers that uh, are necessary to uh, know as we go through this. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be studying the Bible. But we are not going to be studi- studying a Christian denomination. We're not trying to promote uh, Pentecostalism, apostolic. We're not trying to say one's right, this is wrong. We are going to be studying the Bible and let the Bible tell us what the Bible says. And anything we do, that's the ultimate deal. What does the Bible say? Not what I was taught as a child, not what my parents believed, But what does the Bible say? Because the Bible trumps everything. So each lesson, hopefully, will, each lesson is going to be about an hour. We're going to try to condense it to make sure we get it done within the hour time slot. We're going to be using the new King James version of the Bible. Uh, In case you're wondering, maybe if you're using a King James and following along, uh, we'll be using scripture throughout this. And so if you're wondering why it's a little different, Uh, And we're going to go forward. So today we're going to be talking a little bit um, about what the Bible is. And I know that seems like a simple subject, but I think it's important if we're going to go into learning what the Bible is, we're going to need to know what the Bible says, we're going to need to know a little bit about what the Bible actually is. So there's several things we're going to talk about today. The journey of the Bible, we're going to talk a little bit about the arrangement of the Bible we're going to talk about the fact that the Bible is God's Word. We're even going to give you some awesome facts that kind of help solidify the power of the Bible outside of just the realm of Scripture, but stuff that has happened outside of Scripture that helps, that helps uh, confirm what the Bible says. We're going to talk a little bit about faith, and we're going to also talk about how you, are, you can view the Word of God and the benefits in the word of god and more importantly at the end we're going to talk about how you are to respond to the word of god so not only what the word of god is how the word of god is to be studied but more importantly how I can respond to the word of god let's go all the way back if we can to the very very beginning and look at just for a second how god communicated with man from the in the very beginning for the first 2,500 years of man's existence, uh, there was no written word. God's communication was spoken through a few specific men, and we'll study some of these men in future lessons. He also used other ways to communicate, such as nature, dreams, visions angels, and symbols. In fact, the Bible tells us this. Hebrews chapter 1, verse number 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. But obviously, God did not stop with just speaking without a written word, and we find that the Bible begins as a written word, and the first person we see In this story of the written word is Moses. He was the first one to see a written covenant of God. Was given to him on Mount Sinai as the Lord inscribed a portion of the law on tablets of stone with his finger. When Moses was told to put these tables of stone inside a holy sacred place. Most of us know what that sacred place is, but in case you don't know. The Ark of the Covenant. In time, scribes of Israel... Very carefully begin to write on leather, clay, tablets, wood, and other things, these words. And we'll talk about that getting passed down. In fact, Deuteronomy tells us, and I'm going to be using quite a bit of scripture and going probably a little quicker than I need to, to make sure I want to cover all the material. So if you don't get all the scripture, later on we'll make sure that we are able to give that to you. Or you can go back and watch if you are interested in all the scripture references. Deuteronomy 31 Verse number 9 through 11 says, So Moses wrote his law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, at the appointed time in the year of release, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in the place where he chooses, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So we begin to see a shift... In the Bible, we begin to see a shift from God for the first 2,500 years of man's existence where God did not use anything written to God beginning to establish, beginning with Moses, a written covenant that then, that written covenant could be passed along and more importantly, that written covenant could be read and put into Let's just take for a second, I know a lot of you know this, but I think it's important because you would be shocked at how few people know this. Let's talk about the arrangement of the Bible. I know some of you may know this, but I think it's important for us to understand the arrangement of the Bible. First of all, let's look at this. The English word Bible simply comes from the Latin word Biblia, which just simply means books. It is an essential collection of books and that's why sometimes the Bible is referred to as the book of books. So the Bible is divided by the translators. Everybody say translators. The Bible was not, when the Bible was written, it was not written as, okay, Moses sits down and he's saying, let me start the Old Testament. And when Paul wrote, he said, I'm writing in the New Testament. The term Old Testament and the term New Testament are terms given to us By the translators. That's so important for you to understand. Because the fact is, is that there's a lot of things the translators did to help you and I in our quest to know the Bible. Help you and I. However, we'll talk about this some and even in further lessons. We will see that when man gets involved in anything God does, man can mess it up. Because God is perfect, and man is not. And any time man gets involved in anything that's a divine divine impartation, man can mess it up. It's sort of like a little bit of the the game you might have played when you were younger, the telephone game. You whisper a secret to somebody, they whisper it to her, and by the time you get around the room, what actually began as something that was spoken clearly, by the time it gets around, it's all muddled and messed up. So there's very important that we understand that it wasn't good enough for God to speak his word. And for that, can you imagine over the last thousands of years, if that was the case, how far away from the original we we, we would have gotten by now? However, even in the translations of the Bible, we find that there are uh, errors that took place in translation. And we're not going to get into all that today, but we'll talk about that later. So we have an Old and a New Testament. We've got it broken down into books we call the Law, which is the first five books. We'll talk about the books of the Prophets and Psalms, and and we're not going to get into all that uh, necessarily today. But let's just really look about a couple of quick facts. The Old Testament takes place... In a roughly about 3,600 years of time, from the beginning of the establishment of the Old Testament to the end, we're looking about a roughly 3,600 years of time. Uh, it's, it's not an exact, I don't know if anybody, there's a lot of studies that have been done on this, I don't know if anybody can really say they found an accurate time. So it could be 3,601, it could be thirty. 3599, I'm just joking. Somewhere in the 3600 years of time, we have 39 books. 39 books written in the Old Testament. The New Testament covers roughly about 2,000 years of human history from all the things that it discusses, even though a bulk of the New Testament really discusses the life and time of Jesus Christ that we find in the Gospel, which was really 30 years And then it talks about the establishment of the church and the things that took place uh, during the establishment of the church, which was from the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus up through about 100 A.D., give or take a few years. So we're looking at that time period, and there's 27 books in the New Testament. Let me give you a quick little help, because sometimes someone asks you, how many books are in the Bible? You're like, I don't remember. Let me give you a little trick. Old Testament, New Testament, I say Old Testament... New Testament. I'm going to give you a little small tidbit to help you. The word old is how many letters? Three. The word testament is nine. So Old Testament is three and nine, 39 books. The New Testament is three times nine is what? 27. Whoa, help us now. (laughs) Well, I got to take off my shoes and socks to figure that one out. So if you ever want to remember how many books are in a Bible, very simple. 39, 3 for old, 9 for testament. In the New Testament, 3 times 9, 27. Add them together, you get what? 66. So just a very small little thing to help sometimes remember all of those. One other thing we get from translators. If you look at a Bible now, you will realize that your Bible will have little numbers next to it. Uh, It will have a number one, number two on these, these, we call them verses. Verses. Those were not original in the Bible. In fact, if you sat down today to write an email or you sat down to write a letter, you would not go, Dear Mom, chapter 1, verse 1. How are you doing today? Verse 2. Hope all is well. Verse 3. That's not how you write. You write fluidly. The Bible was written fluidly. However, we go back to those little fellows we call the translators. They put chapter and verses into Scripture to help with reference. I know this is simple, but imagine this. If I said to you today, we're going to turn to Matthew. You'd be like, okay, where in Matthew? Um, Like halfway down through the letter, uh, it talks something about Jesus and healing somebody, and we're all sitting around for two hours trying to figure out where it is. But I can easily say to you turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8, and you can, if you know numbers and letters, you can flip through your Bible, Matthew chapter 5, verse number 8. So the translators gave us these chapter markings and these verse markings so that we could better reference and study the Word of God. I, I just can't imagine what it would be like trying to study the Word of God, void of chapter and verses because of the fact it's such a massive book with so much depth to it, it would be impossible to be able to reference that. So, that's sort of where we, a little bit about some technical stuff about the Bible. Let's look at this, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 16. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. There are no, Let me let me repeat this very clearly so you know, there are no Scriptures in the Bible that are throwaway. You may not understand their interpretation. They may not make a lick of sense to you. But all Scripture, every verse from Genesis to Revelation, every book, 66 total, 39, 27, all of that is given to us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The word inspiration literally means, that word inspiration, we talk about being inspired. They were inspired to go uh, lose weight. They were inspired to climb the mountain. They were inspired to get a new job. They were inspired to change their life. But in scripture, when we talk about the word of God being inspired, it literally means God breathed. It is a God-breathed deal. The Bible is inspired. I know some people say, well, the, well, well, the Bible is written by man. It may have been penned by a man, but it was ordained by God. The Bible said over 3,800 times. Over 3,800 times the Bible uses the phrase, The Lord said, the Lord spoke, and God said. Here are two examples really quickly of men of God writing what God spoke to them. Paul uses this, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37 The things that I write are the commandments of the Lord. Jeremiah 30, verse 1 says, The Lord that came to Jeremiah, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Thus speaks the Lord of God of Israel, saying, Write in the book for yourself. All the words that I have spoken unto you. Let's all say this together. The Bible is the inspired word of God. You cannot separate God from His word. Can't do it. And you cannot know God void of His word. To know God is to know His Word. To know His Word is to know God. They are not two different things. They are one in the same. So you can't say, well, I'm not really that interested in the Bible, but I really want to know God. Can't do that. Because to know God is to know the Word. To know the Word is to know God. And when you put those two facts together, you're able to see the full picture. I know some people who study the Word of God but don't know God. I know professors. I went to college and had professors that were very proficient in their knowledge of Scripture. But they didn't know God. So simply studying the Bible is not good enough. But when you combine the study of the Bible with the desire to know God and you put that together and you get the God-breathed Word with the God who breathed it, amazing things begin to happen in your life. Because the Bible is a living word. It's not a dead book. The Bible is a living word. It may have been written thousands of years ago. But it's not like the books that you'll find on the shelves of your local library. The words in the Bible bring life. The words in the Bible are things that challenge us and help us to go forward. So let's look about several here for just a moment of some facts that are quite interesting about the the Bible that were written. The Bible's written in in various times. It talked about the period of time thousands of years ago that are sort of interesting to know. Let's look at some evidence about this book that we call the Bible that's quite interesting. First of all, let's look at the idea of a spherical earth and a flat earth. You say, what's the big deal there for... Hundreds of years, even the smartest people in the world that considered themselves the most intellectual and the most scientifically advanced thought that the earth was flat. But the Bible in Isaiah, an Old Testament book written thousands of years ago, Isaiah 40 verse 22 says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. How does somebody that doesn't have a telescope, never been to outer space, probably never traveled more than 20 to 30 miles from their place of birth, how do they know that the earth is circular? If you ever had the opportunity to stand, we don't, we don't have it here because of the fact of our, of trees and everything that block our obstruction, but if you ever been to the desert, and you're able to stand in the desert and be able to look at the horizon line, or even better yet, if you ever go to Ocean City, about two-hour drive from here east towards the ocean, and you stood on the beach, and you look at the horizon, it appears even there that even though you can stand on the beach at Ocean City and you can almost see at a 180-degree angle, horizon to horizon, this great flat plain in front of you, it appears to be flat. And somebody with this knowledge, how did they know that the earth was circular? Because they didn't write it. If man would have wrote that, they would have said God sits above a flat plane. But they said God sits above a circular earth. You say, "Well, that's not a big deal." It's a big deal. Because it's I, the idea that the knowledge in this book wasn't coming from a man's imagination, but the things in this book were coming from a heavenly father that was trying to get word to his children. How about one another one's interesting? The fact that earth hangs upon nothing. There's no string attaching earth. I know it seems like in our modern 21st century society, that's, oh, duh, come on, we've learned that from school. But let's be honest, that wasn't always the case. And Job 26, verse 7 says, He stretches out the the north over empty space. He hangs the earth on nothing. Again, these were not men... That had the ability to take a trip to outer space. Have you ever seen one of the, the coolest pictures ever? I love the fact of this picture. Is that one that I don't remember which uh, a mission Apollo mission took this picture, um, but they uh, took a picture of a Earth rise, not a sunrise, but an Earth rise, and they took a picture as they were as they were orbiting the moon. They took a picture of the Earth. Sort of in correlation to the moon as it sort of appeared as they, as they rounded the dark side of the moon. And you can obviously see in that picture that the earth is not hanging on anything. But these men that were thousands of years ago did not have that ability to see that picture. So how do they know that earth hung on nothing? Because they had a heavenly father who was the creator. He was the one that hung the earth on nothing. It's amazing what you can know about the creation when you know the creator. <laughs> when you know the creator, you can know the creation. There's something else that's interesting. You've heard this term, maybe if you, you've heard the term. Anyone ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? This was something, and years ago, there was a shepherd boy. Uh, Uh, some Bedouins and stumbled into a cave and in this quest and finding this cave for shelter, they came across these scrolls. And what's quite interesting about this is these scrolls were 2,000 years old. Give or take a few years. 2,000 years old and these scrolls contained representation of every book of the traditional Hebrew Bible Bible. Except Esther. But here's what's amazing. When they took the scrolls and they compared the manuscripts to our modern Bible. So you took scrolls 2,000 years ago. And they took these and they compared them to a modern Bible. This is what was fascinating about that. They found that they were 95% identical word for word with 5% variation consisting primarily of obvious slips of pen and spelling alterations. 95% accuracy. From the time that 2,000 years ago that these scrolls were written to the Bible that we hold in our hand that has been passed down and passed down, that the consistency... It's 95% accurate, and the 5% variation was obvious slips of the pen or some spelling errors that took place. That is absolutely astounding. And you know what that proves to me is? That proves the whole step of the way God's hand was on his word. You can't have that happen unless it was a God-ordained thing. Let's look at a little bit about that variation, which is quite interesting. The variation of time and accuracy. And we're going to take a term here that you may have never heard before, but let me explain it because we're going to explain it and then show you in comparison to other works of antiquity that were written in the same contemporary time as the Bible and look at sort of this term. And this term is what we're going to call a time gap. Everybody say time gap. So the accuracy and the reliability of an ancient document is dependent upon this thing we call the time gap. The time gap between the time the original author wrote it and the first copy written. The number of available manuscripts also increases the uh, credibility. So what is a time gap? A time gap is the gap of time from when the author writes the original to the time the first copy is written. So the time gap, again, is when the author originally sits down and writes out what is the original writing of the manuscript, whatever it is, to the time that that manuscript is increased to over here, that manuscript is then copied. The time from there to there is what we're calling the time gap. Here's the most important thing about the time gap. The farther away the time gap, the less accuracy and reliability that we have. The closer the time gap, the more accurate. Not only that, when you combine the closeness of the time gap with the amount of manuscripts, you start to increase your reliability. Why is this important? Why are you telling me today? Why do you want to tell me this? Because you have to understand that this book that we're holding is not a book full of errors. The world has tried to tell you that the Bible is flawed, it's messed up, it's a book filled with this, a book filled with that, it's no good, throw it away. We're a modern society, 21st century, we have evolved past the Bible. But when you begin to peel the layers back, you realize this book is not like any other book. It's not like a book that was written just as a book, but this book has differences to it. So we're looking at that time gap. The hand, these handwritten documents, originals of copies, or copies, are what we're calling manuscripts. So again, the smaller the time gap between the original, over here, and the copy, over here, the less room for error. So let's look at this really quickly. This is quite interesting. Let's look at some time gaps in some documents that are actually now studied and used in universities. Because you know if it's in a university, it has to be true. Sort of like if it's on the internet, it's true. Well, I saw it on the internet. Really? Some 10-year-old with with Photoshop altered a picture, wrote something, everyone believes it. I know Bigfoot's real. I saw it on the internet. Some guy in the backyard took a picture. No, some guy took a picture of his backyard and some kid, 10-year-old photoshopped Bigfoot. So, let's look at some accuracy of some things. There's a Caesar wrote some things that are studied. Caesar had ten manuscripts, but the time gap between his original writing and the copy a thousand years. How about Plato? Ooh, not Plato, not Plato, what you play with as a kid. Plato got to get those terms correct. Plato, not Plato. Plato, the Greek philosopher, had seven manuscripts. These are big deal, man. Plato was like, "Ooh, he's a he's a studied guy." Seven manuscripts, time gap. You ready? Twelve hundred years. How about Pliny the Younger? Was a historical uh, historical count. Seven manuscripts, seven hundred and fifty year time gap. Homer. Some of you've heard heard the term Homer. If you've studied English at all, you heard the term Homer 643 manuscripts not too bad, time gap 500 years now watch this you ready, the New Testament 24,000 manuscripts time gap 25 to 50 years 24,000 time gap 25 to 50 years Huge, huge to understand that what we're reading today is exactly what Paul penned in the letters he wrote to Ephesians and the church in Philippi and the church in Corinth. Now let's look at some things here that's quite interesting as we move through this. The fact of the Bible prophesied things and those things have come to pass. One particular that's quite interesting is the Bible prophesied the rebirth of Israel as a nation. The The nation of Israel, both northern and southern, were destroyed and overthrown in around 587 B.C. Ever since then, Israel was in captivity by foreign empires. In fact, when Jesus walked this earth, Israel was under the control of the Roman Empire. God sent his prophets to tell Israel that there will come a day that the nation of Israel will be birthed, will be rebirthed, and the Jews will gather back in the land. In fact, the Bible went so far as to say not only will there be a rebirth of Israel, but it will happen in a single day. And sure enough, May 15th, 1948. You can look it up if you don't believe me. The United Nations announced that Israel would once again become a sovereign nation. The Bible spoke it thousands of years later from the time that it ceased becoming a sovereign nation around 500 BC all the way up to 1948. So you're looking at a gap of about 2,500 years that this was not taking place. And the Bible not only said it would become a nation, but it said it would happen in a single day and with the stroke of the pen the United Nations established in one day that the nation of Israel would become a sovereign nation again. Let's go just a little farther. If you're able if you get really if you get really deep into scripture, you'll begin to realize in the Old Testament, the Old Testament has many prophecies prophesying about the coming of Jesus Christ. Many scriptures talk about this coming Savior. This coming one who is, going to, who, who is going to become the Messiah. And if we go down a little farther, we find that it wasn't just one or two verses. That it was actually over a hundred prophecies. One hundred prophecies. Over a hundred prophecies that were directly speaking in the Old Testament of a coming Messiah. There was a man, I got his name here, let me, let me, me, Peter Stoner. I don't know who he is. I'm sure he's a nice guy. But he was a mathematician. This is what he began to calculate. The probability of the accuracy of a prophecy in that period of time. And this is what he came up with. Now watch this, this is astounding. If just eight prophecies were to come to pass The probability of that would be 1 in 10 to the 17th zero. Which comes out to 1 in 100 quadrillion. Just 8. If you go a little farther and you say, well, let's double that and let's make it 16... If 16 prophecies were to come to pass, the probability of that, according to his calculations, would be 1 in 10 to the 45th zero. I wish my bank account had 45 zeros. (laughs) If we go a little farther and say 48 prophecies, now that's actually a pretty good number, pretty chunky number, 48 prophecies came to pass, that would be 1 in 10 to the 157th zero. How many scriptures did we talk about? At least how many scriptures are there prophesying about Jesus in the Old Testament? Over a hundred. So here we go, ready? If a hundred and eight, a hundred and eight prophecies were to come to pass, the probability of that would be one and ten to infinity. Which basically is mathematics to say it's impossible that something can be predicted that far in advance on that many different levels by that many different authors over that span of time. The probability of that mathematically is basically zero. However, saying all that, we could talk about the evidence. And I, I, have, uh, I told this story, and let me just tell it again. When I was, a, I was a, a student in college, some of you have heard me tell this story. I graduated from community college here in, in Anne Arundel County, and I transferred to uh, University of Maryland. And it was my first semester at University of Maryland, so I was looking for some cake courses. I needed an easy A. I needed something just to get my feet wet. And so I'm scrolling through the book and talking to the advisor and trying to find out what would be the best course for me to take. And I come across this course, and it fit with my elective, and it was Old Testament biblical studies. I was like, this is awesome. This is great. I'm thinking, easy A. I mean, I don't need to show up to class. He's going to talk about Moses, Abraham. He's going to talk about the temple. I've been coming. I was, I was raised in church. I know this stuff. Yeah, David killed Goliath. I got all that. Don't even, Just give me the final, and I'll ace it. And I went to class that day, the first day of class, and I sat there, and I'm like, all right, come on, just just give me an A. I know this stuff. And this guy walked in, and from the very moment he opened his mouth, for the next four months, he did everything in his power to shred the Bible. And here I am. I'm a history guy. I love history. I, 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 I'm just, a, I, 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 I don't know where, it's just from when I was a kid. I was, when I was 10, 12 years old, 13 years old, what I'd love to do, seriously, I'd love to sit down and watch old black and white World War II documentaries. I'd sit there and watch them by the hours. I remember at Sunday nights, my dad and I would go home. He'd preach Sunday morning, Sunday night. My father is the founder of Antioch. Uh, the apostolic church and, and, and growing up in a preacher's home you would preach Sunday morning, Sunday night and we'd go home Sunday night and my mom would make sandwiches and him and I would sit on the couch and we'd put on a black and white documentary I just love history and so I had this, I had this desire for history well the problem is this guy spent four months shredding the evidence of biblical history I'm thinking, oh my God. I mean, he's like blasting archaeology over here. Well, the Bible says this happened, and there's no archaeological evidence over here. The Bible says this happened, and we can't even find this city, and we don't even think it's existed. And this says, I mean, I'm like, my head was spinning, and I'm really like, I'm starting to get shaken to my core. It's really bothering me because I'm like, and, and and i had this thought this is honest to god i had this thought have i been duped i mean maybe i've been misled maybe i mean i i had high respect for my father and my mother i'd seen what the evidence of their life and by the time that you know there the uh, this church had grown just from their just two of them to to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, and literally sending hundreds and thousands of people all over the world that were saved in this church. And and I'm thinking, man, you know, is all of this a sham? I had this moment. It was a cry. I mean, I literally, I'm not just saying that dramatically. I was literally shaken to my core. But in all that, as I began to seek God. Okay, God, help me. It came back to one simple fact is there's always going to be a level in the Word of God that's going to require faith. There's always going to be evidence that's going to try to tell you that this is wrong and that's wrong and the Word of God's this and the Word of God of that. That's going to have to challenge you. Are you going to be a believer and believe the Word of God for what it is? Because the Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith is comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And the Bible says further in 11, Hebrews 11, 6, without faith it is impossible. Everybody say impossible. Yeah. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. And that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God rewards those who put their faith in His Word. Can I get an amen? There's always, always a level, always a part. I believe the Bible is accurate, I believe the Bible is true. I believe we talked about some evidence in all of this that even point to its accuracy and its truthfulness. However, there's always going to be a point where we're going to come up a little short, and there's always going to be a point that we're reaching for that's right here. And that gap that we need to fill is going to have to be filled with faith. It doesn't mean, some people use that tool, I have to be honest with you, some people use that tool as a way to cover the fact that what they're telling you is not truly biblical. Let me put that out there. Because some people say, well, you really can't understand it, you just have to believe that it's there. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not telling you you have to believe, so I can just simply tell you what I want to tell you, and then have the clause at the end of the contract, well, you just have to believe it. Preacher, can you tell me that in the Word of God? Well, I really can't tell you that in the Word of God. Um, You're just going to have to believe that's the way it is. The moment someone ever tells you that anything in the Word of God cannot be understood, you have to just simply believe it. Run. Take off. Run. Don't even stop to look back. Don't even stop at go. Don't collect your 200. Keep running. Because they're not telling you the truth. Because everything in this book with faith can be understood. So when I tell you it requires faith, I'm not talking about it requires faith to be able to understand the word of God and begin to, yes, there is faith. I'm talking about it requires faith to believe that what we're reading is the word of God because the world and its systems and society and humanity and flesh are always going to try to attack the divine nature of who God is and going to try to discredit the word of God. People will tell you, well, I'm not gonna believe the Bible. I'm not gonna believe the Bible because it's flawed. The Bible has errors, the Bible has this, it's got this error and got that error. And you know what? You're right. They're not gonna believe it. Is there historical things that don't line up with Scripture? Sure, there is. But I tell you one thing real quickly. It's interesting. And 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 this is not on the subject, but it's part of having understanding where we're at is sometimes people try to use Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is the creation story. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was out without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the earth. The Spirit of God moved upon the face of the water. And dry land appeared. We talked about the birds and the bees and the flowers and the trees. All that began to be created by the spoken word of God as God created things. Hung the stars in the sky the moon and the sun. All of those things. And so people have tried to use those things to prove science. Here's my concern with that. Sometimes when you go down that road, it's a slippery slope because the Bible, understand this, this is very important. I've said this before for some of you, but I think everybody needs to understand this. The Bible was written in the context of who was writing it and who was reading it. When Moses sat down to to write out, he was not thinking of you and I in his examples. So the problem is, if Genesis was given to us by God to prove science, what science? Science of today? Science of 100 years ago? Or how about science of 100 years from now? Hey, folks, it was only... 250 plus years ago, they, they thought the cure for everything was leeching. You got a problem? Just throw a couple of leeches on you. You'll be good. Call me in the morning. It's amazing how quickly, how much science changes. In fact, I guarantee you, if you're 40 or older, what they taught you in school, some of the stuff they taught you in school, they don't teach anymore because it's been proven wrong. I remember going to the doctor with my children, and just the age gap of a—we have an eleven-year-old down to a five-year-old, and one in the middle. But from the time the eleven-year-old was born to the time the five-year-old was born, in that six-year period, taking them to the doctors, the pediatricians had changed their idea and the way they were doing things, even in that six years. Science is constantly changing. So if the Bible is to prove science, is, is it what science? Science can't even prove science at half the time. they got to keep evolving. So it goes back to that idea that ultimately we walk by faith, not by sight. I don't need scientific proof in me to be able to say, I believe the Word of God. I believe the Word of God because I believe there is a God. And if I believe there is a God, I must believe that this is His Word. Now, we gave some facts to show that it's more than just that. However, if you strip all that out, it's still the Word of God. So let's real quickly here, we're almost done. We just have a few minutes left, and we'll get through here to the end of our lesson today. Let's look at how God views His Word. And there's Scripture here, but for time's sake, I'm not going to be able to go through all of the Scripture and read it. Let's look at how God views His Word. Psalms tells us He magnifies His Word above His name. Hebrews tells us His Word is alive, powerful active and sharp Isaiah tells us his word does not return void John tells us his word is truth Matthew tells us his word is everlasting let's look at the benefits of the word of God the benefits of the word of God to me Psalms tells us the word of God is able to make us wise Psalms also tells us that the Word of God provides a guide for life. The Word of God provides a guide for life. The Word of God reveals God's plan for humanity and the world. To know about God is to know His Word. To know His Word is to know His plan. And we understand His plan for humanity and plan for the world. And ultimately, the Word of God, the benefit is... It allows us to know and experience the author, who is God himself. Michael Horton makes this statement, to preach the Bible as the handbook for life, or as the answer to every question, rather than as the revelation of Christ, is to turn the Bible into an entirely different book. This is how the Pharisees approach Scripture. As we can clearly see from the questions they asked Jesus. For the Pharisees, the scriptures were a source of trivia for life's dilemmas. That seems like there's maybe a sort of a contradiction there. You just said it's a guidebook for life, but now you're telling us we shouldn't look that. Yes, it's a guidebook for life, but it's not just a guidebook for life. Because here's the point, the guidebook for life teaches us how to live a life towards God and how God wants us to live life. So it's not a guidebook book of how to live your best life. It's a guidebook book of how I live my life to get closer to Jesus Christ. Totally different. This is not a self-help book. You're not going to find this next to Oprah's book club to tell you how to live a better life. This book is bigger than that. And to make it that strips it of its power. The Bible is given to us to know and experience God. So let's land our plane here this morning and see this. How should I respond to the Word of God? You're talking about the Word of God. We know the Word of God. I want to study the Word of God. But when I look at the Word of God and I study the Word of God, then how do I respond to the word of God. Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 tells us. Blessed is he who reads. And those who hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written in it. For the, for the time is near. So we read. We hear. And we keep. Everybody say those with me. Read. Hear. And keep. To read is to know the word. David said this, teach me, O Lord, the ways of your stature, and I will keep it to the end. So it's important that we read the Word of God. There's two types of reading the Word of God. You can read for volume, you can read for study. How many of you in this room have ever attempted a, to read the Bible in a year? I'm not asking if you completed it, but if you tried. Right? We tried. I've told people before, I've read Genesis 711 times. Because every time I start off, I'm going to read the Bible completely through. Genesis, I blaze through. Exodus, I start my motor sputters. And by the time I get down to uh, Joshua and Judges and Ruth, I'm at a crawl. But Genesis, I got. In fact, Genesis one in the beginning, I know that. Woo, I got that verse down. I've read that literally a thousand times. So, we're to read the Word of God. You can read for volume. And you can read for study, two types of that. Maybe down the road we can talk a little bit about that. So we read, we hear. To hear is not simply to audibly hear, because let's be honest with you, my kids hear me all the time, but they don't understand me. I have to tell them, do you understand what I'm telling you to do? Because they're hearing me. Come on, every wife in here, you can say this, you ask your husband, are you listening? Every wife. And I tell my wife, yeah, I'm listening. Because I repeat back. She goes, I don't care if you can repeat it back to me or not. Are you listening? Every woman's used that. Are you listening to me? Because we understand to simply have something come in one ear does not mean it's getting into our mind and our heart. So we not just want to read the Word of God, we want to hear the Word of God. And to hear the Word of God, we want to understand. You know what the greatest way to study the Word of God? Ask questions. Because I tell people all the time, don't be afraid to ask a question. Because truth can withstand examination. If it's not truth, it can't be examined. But truth can be examined. There's no question that's too dumb. There's no question that's too hard. Trust me. You've been around a long time. You've got some doozies. Did Adam have a belly button? You get these questions. But there's no question why. Because if we ask, how does a child learn? My son is at five years old. On your fifth birthday, somebody sneaks into your brain. I don't know who it is, and if I found out who it is, I'd shoot them before they got there. Because at a five-year-old, they go in, they switch that switch. They go from one question a day to 700 questions a day. My five-year-old, literally, before he even gets the answer to the one, he's asking another. And there's times I'm driving down the road, and he's asking questions, and I say, listen, buddy, I love you. But you have reached your question quota for today. All questions must be referred to tomorrow because if daddy has to answer another question, I'm going to drive my car off the road. Dad, what if Dad, what if Dad, what Dad, what? My god. Ask your mother. <laughs> I don't know, ask your mother, go ask your mother and it's so funny, every parent that's done this you go ask your, you, you know my wife says, I don't know, go ask your dad so I'm like, mm, I ain't playing that game they come ask me, I'm like, I don't know, go ask your mother that's what she said they go back, dad said to ask you well I said ask dad Not someone answer the question <laughs> because there's something in a child they know, if they ask questions, they'll learn if we ask questions, we'll learn And you know what? If someone doesn't give me the answer, I'm going to keep asking until I find the answer. So we understand the word. God wants us to understand his word. To do so, we need to know how to study and interpret the word accurately. Huge, huge deal. We need to know how to study and interpret the word accurately. God never intended for anyone to make up their own interpretation. Oh, thank you. If you didn't hear anything I said all day, stop, hold it, listen to what I just said. God never intended for anyone to make up their own interpretation of the Word of God. Therefore, we must interpret the Bible using the Bible. The Bible interprets itself. Everybody say that with me. The Bible interprets itself. I don't interpret the Bible. The Bible interprets the Bible. How do I understand the Word of God? We've got to read it in context. In fact, a good little tool to help you is, the Bible says, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let over word be established. So if I want to understand something, I need simply just to look at one reference, I need to look at multiple references to truly understand what the word of God says. Secondly, is I should not add or subtract from it. Let me say this really quickly. If you get into some biblical study, you'll find that there are many translations. Remember we talked about at the very beginning the word translator. Those were fellows that took the word. The Bible was originally Old Testament, was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek and some Aramaic. And so I don't speak Hebrew and I don't speak Greek. So I need somebody who knows those languages to take them and interpret it into English. That's important. However, if you go study the Bible, maybe you even have a Bible app on your phone. You will discover there are multiple translations. we got King James. We have the New International Version. We've got the Easy to Read Version. We've got the Living Bible. We've got the New Living Bible. We've got this Bible, that Bible. But the the, 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 the thing you have to be careful about is this. I'll use one in particular that's very popular. It was written by a man. It was it was translated by a man by the name of Eugene Peterson, and that is called the Message Bible. It was a hugely popular book, hugely popular translation of the Bible. And as a studier of the Bible, and I love to study the Word of God, I have looked at the Message Bible, and I use it sometimes, even when I am speaking and preaching the. Thing you have to be careful about is, is that the Message Bible and some other translations are what we call paraphrased translations. We are reading today, this is important. I know this is kind of duh, but it's important. We're reading today out of the King James Version, actually, the New King James Version. Reason why I like the New King James is because they take some of the thou's and the thuses of 1611 English. Bring it a little more modern. However, the way the translators did the King James Version is simply this. They would take the Greek word, the Hebrew word, and they would translate that into English as they built line upon line, text upon text. And that way we get an accurate translation. But here's what the paraphrase Bible does the paraphrase Bible takes a full interpretation of an entire thought, and then paraphrases what they assume the author was trying to communicate. That is interesting and scary at the same time. Because I've said this before and used this example uh, in times past, I have had the opportunity and privilege to travel all over the world and to preach for it through interpretation. Whether that interpretation is Spanish, if that's Russian, or if it's Norwegian, or if it's Korean or Chinese, multiple different languages that it that's spoken through. And it's hilarious to me because it, those of you in here today, we got we got several here that speak Korean, we got several who speak Spanish. When you're translating a message when someone's speaking, you're translating sometimes word for word, but also, my correct on this, sometimes you translate And you paraphrase to make sure you get the context, correct? Here's the thing. It's hilarious. Because I'll say, God is good. Let's all worship the Lord. It's going to be a great day today. We're so happy you're here. And they'll just say, (laughs) Like, wait a minute. I gave you 60 words. You gave me two. And then I'll say, let's go forward. And they're like, I'm like, wait a minute, I gave you 60, you gave me two, I gave you two, you gave me 111. What's up with that? And the scariest thing, I'm telling you, the scariest thing is to preach and not know the language, because you don't know if you're saying, and God is good, and they're translated, this knucklehead has no idea what he's doing. And everyone's laughing and saying amen, because they're just like, yeah, we got you, it's a big joke on you. That's a scary thing. Because it's about a paraphrasing translation. So we have to be careful when we study the Bible that we, we make sure that when we study the Bible that we understand what we're studying so that we get the correct, accurate translation and what God intended us to know. Huge. Because you can get into error if you study the wrong thing. So we read, we hear, and finally we keep what simply means to apply the word. And James tells us this. James 1, last scripture of the day. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Whoa. Look at that real quickly here. If I'm, a, if I'm simply a hearer and not a doer, I'm going to be deceived. In order to find true path, I have to be a hearer and a doer. To be a hearer without being a doer is to be deceived. So James said, be doers of the word and not hearers only, that you not walk in deception. Final thought. The Bible is to be read, understood, and applied. Read, understood, and applied. Praise God. Amen. That was lesson one of unlocking the Bible. So now you are all on your journey over the next 12 weeks to unlocking the Bible. And I pray that even today you were able to hear something, know something, and find something you never discovered about the Word of God. And we're going to be doing this now on Sunday morning for the next 12 weeks, getting deeper into understanding the Word of God what the Bible says, and finally, how to read it, how to understand it, and how to apply it. Praise God. Amen. The Lord bless you.